Welcome to The Wrap, a Warren Averett podcast for business leaders designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it so you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day. Time is tight. That's why our advisors have wrapped up today's most timely topics into a podcast with actionable advice. Now, let's get down to business. Hey, Kim. Hey, Paul. How are you? I am good. How are you? I am wonderful and glad to be back for another podcast. Yeah, always enjoy our time together and um, excited to continue on with this season of frequently asked questions and hitting on hot topics that our listeners are uh, wanting to know more about. Absolutely. And uh, today is, is we're going to, we don't want to get too technical, but we're going to have to at some point, right? So leases is something in the accounting world that, that gives everybody headaches. And uh, we have, we have one of our, our own experts on, on leases with us, Josh Bowen. Josh is a senior manager in the audit division, serves on the firm's audit best practice uh, leader committee and is part of the firm's financial services and public sector industry groups. Josh, welcome. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. And, and Josh and I go way back. Josh and I have been uh, colleagues since 2005 when we both came, when, when Josh came out of uh, Troy University, as I did. So uh, it's, it's always good to, to talk to Josh. And uh, he always wants to tell stories. And, and we're not allowed to do that on this. So, uh, Josh, really glad to have you here. And, you know, Lisa's is a, is a topic that, you know, has, has changed a little bit over time. And it looks, seems like it's going to be changing a lot more now. Um, and it seems like we have been discussing leases for ages, right? So for those that may not know about the new lease accounting standard, ASC 842, I don't want to get too technical again, but you know, in a nutshell, what is, how does this affect entities? Yeah. So Paul, you're right. We've been talking about leases for a long time. Seems like since dirt was being made and uh, we've been looking back at just how long we've been talking about it. I can remember in college, even the, the discussions of how lease accounting may change over time. And, and so that time is now. And so in a nutshell, uh, the new accounting standard is bringing all leases, both operating and, and finance leases, or what we've always called capital leases, on the balance sheet. So for years, when we were back at Troy, uh, we, we talked about the on-off balance sheet of basically going through these four criteria to determine if a lease was a capital lease, which means it would go on a balance sheet, or an operating lease, which essentially means it would go through our, uh, the P&L, the profit and loss statement. Uh, those days are gone with this new lease accounting standard. So now everything is going to be on the balance sheet. Uh, the new question is, is a contract a service? or is it a lease? And so we will have to evaluate that based on the, the lease definition. Essentially, do we have the right to, con to control an asset? Is the asset identifiable? Uh, do we have a lease for a period of time? Is there consideration? And so we would uh, evaluate these contracts based on, on that definition and then really determine, is it a service, which means it's going through the P&L, or is it a lease uh, based on the terms of the contract? So Josh, um, we know that we're sitting here, you know, late in 2020, and we know that most companies have been impacted by COVID-19 and especially commercial real estate. So has that positively or negatively impacted companies with leases? Yeah. So obviously commercial real estate is, uh, has been impacted negatively kind of across the board. Uh, my wife and I, we were, we were back in Birmingham a couple of weekends ago and, we were going through one of the larger malls in, in Birmingham at six o'clock on a Saturday evening. And it was just dead, just 
all the retail shops were, were closed and there were some places that she wanted to go. It actually probably saved me some money, uh, them being closed, but uh, it was just dark and, and kind of eerie feeling. And obviously, as we look, look at that scenario, we can see that that's going to directly impact probably the lessors of these, uh, these buildings. And so the FASB did come out and they issued a technical inquiry. And like Paul mentioned earlier, Kim, we don't want to get into the, 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 the details that give you and I goosebumps when we talk about lease accounting, the technical stuff. But uh, they did come out with a staff Q&A that discusses uh, lease concessions. And so there, there are some um, scenarios out there that we would want to consider with lease concessions, accounting for def lease deferrals. That is out there that's related to COVID. Um, and probably one of the biggest topics that, that really has hit the, the lease accounting world has been a, an additional one-year deferral. And that's something that uh, I would say probably is a positive impact because of COVID, because many entities are still struggling to implement the standard or they just need a little bit more time. And so COVID obviously put a, a little bit of everything on the back burner, it seems like. So now we do have a new uh, ASC 2020-05, uh, a new standard that defers the effective date for private entities another year. So now we're looking at uh, fiscal years beginning after 12-15-2021. For most entities, that'll be year in 12-31-2022. So we have an additional year to implement the standard. So that part would probably be a positive for many. So remembering back to my financial statement accounting days, Josh, when you were just a young buck and um, uh, learning, <laughs> learning what you could, um, we, we, we worked together a lot on uh, financial statement audits and debt was something that you and I both worked on a lot. And I, I remember debt covenants always um, having something to do with leases and were there new leases, whether capital or operating. And so I've got to imagine that um, that topic is, is not going away. And, um, you know, is there still a concern for organizations as it relates to their debt covenants and these leases on, you know, whether it's, you know, a lease or, or it's a, a contract? Yeah, absolutely. It is. Uh, if, if there's a financial ratio, Paul, that uh, has total assets, current liabilities, long-term liabilities, total liabilities, any of those financial ratios that include those areas, the new standards going to impact it. Now, how much will it impact each entity? Well, that's something that you just have to go through the calculation to determine. But uh, so that's going to vary by entity, but there are some discussions out there. There's a terminology called frozen gap that many are using where essentially a debt covenant, a bank, a lender could say, we're going to use a frozen gap method where uh, let's say that the, the debt agreement um, was written during ASC 840, which is our current lease standard that we're okay with just following that, that guidance. Um, so that, that's out there. Uh, I've actually heard of some actually being a bit creative. There's uh, one uh, entity that I can that I know of off the top of my head that they've actually uh, gotten approval to just not implement the new lease accounting standard. And so that obviously brings some other discussions to the table too. So uh, when we look at not implementing a significant standard, that that there could be implications or will be implications potentially to the opinion and what that looks like. So there's a lot going on in the lease accounting world and how that's affecting debt covenants, how that may affect an auditor's opinion. And so it's just another reason why we continue to uh, really recommend that entities jump on the standard, begin at least 
walking through the early stages of implementing and thinking through how this could impact them. So, I mean, this standard really impacts the majority of entities. And are there any tricky or challenging areas that business owners should consider? Yeah, most business owners would probably say all of it (laughs) because it's just so, so different. But there are some tricky areas, things that kind of pop out when we've helped entities implement the standard. We look at the practical expedience, which we have a few in the standard that really is there to help ease the burden of implementing the new standard. But when we start to peel back the layers of the onion, we realize, yeah, it creates easier accounting. But on the other hand, it may create a larger liability. And that may be something that many business owners may not want in their financial statements. And I can give you an example of that. Uh, Let's say lease and non-lease components. And this is part of more of the technical side. But um, the standard allows a practical expedient to not separate or bifurcate out the the lease and non-lease components uh, in a contract. And so essentially, if you don't do that, it means that the liability is going to be bigger but the accounting for the lease would actually be a bit easier. And so where we're seeing this really apply is if you have a real estate lease that, um, that say it has a CAMS and that non-lease component is a larger number, then it may, not, it may be worth basically separating that out because it would create a much larger liability than a company may want. Whereas on an automobile lease, that, non-lease component may be so immaterial that they they just don't care. It's just really not impacting the financial statements uh, in a great way. And so as a result, many are may decide to actually not break those out and, and calculate it uh, in total. Some other uh, areas that I would consider too, uh, one thing that pops up over and over is embedded leases. So Paul, I know with your background in IT, this is a great, great time to talk about IT a little bit. Uh, for instance, let's say a, an entity has a, a service contract that they're just, uh, they just have services for cloud computing. But when we start reading that contract, we see that there's actually an embedded lease where they have the right to control uh, an identified, say, server that's theirs within that contract. And so all of a sudden we have an embedded lease within the service contract. And so it really makes us pause and take a step back to say, okay, when we ask for let's for all the leases, we really can't use that terminology anymore. We really have to step back and say, we need to evaluate all contracts because now we have to really see, is it a service or is it a lease? And sometimes the embedded leases can kind of get, get us a little bit behind the eight ball and kind of uh, catch us off guard a bit. Uh, another topic that really comes up a lot is the incremental borrowing rate. So obviously we want to use uh, the implicit rate if stated, but most of the time we don't have that. Well, the incremental borrowing rate is kind of our next step. And that rate is a, is a collateralized rate now. It, it, we have to use a similar economic environment. We have to use equal uh, lease payment terms. And so essentially what it's doing is it's bringing credit worthiness into this rate that's being used with leases. And so what we'll find many times is that uh, an entity may say, well, here's the rate that the bank just gave us, but we realize it's a line of credit that's not collateralized. And so there may have to be assumptions and we have to get to what that incremental borrowing rate is because that definition changed under the new lease accounting standard. 
Want to receive a monthly newsletter with wrap topics? Head on over to warrenaverett.com forward slash the wrap and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. Congratulations, Josh. You just successfully transported me back to Tom R's class. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, that's a good thing or a bad thing? I, I don't know either. So, so <laughs> it sounds like th- there's just a lot to manage here, right? So how, how are most companies going to manage this implementation? Because I, I got to imagine while it's been deferred a year and it's been deferred before, people wait until that deferral date to do something, but you really got to be acting on it now. So how, how, do you, how do you help implement this massive uh, monster that's being created? Yeah, so the management part, really, I think step one is trying to determine how many leases you really have. And to kind of go back to the, the previous discussion is we really have to start evaluating all the contracts that we have in a company. And so after we determine how many leases we have, then I think we can start to manage, is it something we can do manually or is it something we really need to rely on technology and software to help us manage this lease process. So for many entities that have a lot of leases, let's say they have 100, 200, 300 plus leases, many of them probably already have a lease management software that more likely than not is uh, already has a component to help them implement 842. But for other entities that, let's say they have 20 leases or 30 leases and Some of those are made up of real estate, some are equipment leases. They may not have a software. And so what are they going to do? Well, we have templates. There are templates out there to help them calculate what the the lease liability is going to be, what this right of use asset would be on the balance sheet. Um, But the question then is, is it, are we at a magic number that says that we can manually calculate, aggregate all of this data, and then provide the adequate disclosures needed in the financial statements? That's a completely different side that we don't think about a lot of times. So when we start looking at the weighted average require, weighted average calculation requirements and the disclosures, then we start taking a pause and saying, is this something we really want to do manually? So after you go through an implementation, that magic number if it is, is it five leases? Is it 10 or is it 15? That magic number probably goes down more <laughs> as you walk through the implementation because you realize how much work is involved. And so I personally think that many companies will probably use technology to help them because it's going to be a recurring calculation every single uh, reporting period. Some may have quarterly reporting requirements. Uh, many, it may just be an annual process and, and there is a cost to it, Paul. So in, in the, back in the day, right, we, we think of like fixed asset accounting where it's a one cost, we buy the application and we just use it until like it just dies, right? right. Those days are a bit different because the technology in the technology world, now we're more on a cloud basis, recurring uh, expense to use the software. And so we are seeing where there, there are some additional costs involved in managing and implementing the standard. So Josh, you mentioned software, but do many of these software companies have an SOC report so that companies can evaluate them and consider them in accordance with their vendor management programs? And maybe you can explain a little bit to our listeners if they aren't familiar what an SOC report is. Yeah, so now I'm playing in Paul's uh, world talking yeah, about SOCs. Been, that should have been, been my question. I know, I'm surprised <laughs> that you let me ask that. But. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Josh, go right ahead. 
Yeah. So, so an SOC uh, report is something that we as auditors, we want to review because it's essentially where an organization is outsourcing part of their internal control structure to a third party. And so what we want to do is review that report to see one, do they have controls in place that are important to us and our internal control structure? And then two, they, they typically just about in, in all cases, I, I think I've reviewed one SOC report, Paul, that didn't have a user entity control, but, uh, but there are user entity controls that are in place too. That's basically the, the third party will say, our controls are good, but if you don't have these controls, then you can't really rely on our report. And so it's good to review that report too, just to see what controls are expected from, from the user entities standpoint as well. And all of that is kind of combined in the opinion that the auditor provides in this report. And so for many of the software vendors that we've evaluated, and as a firm, we've evaluated quite a few, um, most of them had SOC reports. And that, that's good. That's something that uh, it should give our clients and every other entity out there that's looking at uh, using a third-party software some comfort that they've done their due diligence, the calculations work, they have good controls on their end. And so I would definitely say, and Paul uh, would probably high five me by saying this, and that is to really have a good vendor management program that has strong vendor due diligence. I would recommend that an SOC report be completed or at least the SOC one or is, has been completed and they're working on that SOC two to really show evidence that they're they're serious in making sure their internal control structure is in place. And I, and I got to imagine from a SOC 1 perspective, again, not to get too technical, but the you got to make sure that the, the system is calculating the lease requirements the way that it should, right? So there's got to be good um, controls in place to make sure, hey, it is calculating it the way it should be. It is calculating it based on 842 and not the old way. So I can imagine... Uh, that's going to, that's going to play into it. I, I look forward, you know, we, we do a lot of vendor management on our side. If you ever need somebody to audit some leases, let me know, Josh, I'm happy to bounce back to the other side. Yeah, absolutely. So Josh, lots of good information about leases. Uh, let's, let's wrap this up in 60 seconds or less for our listeners. What's the two or three things you want them to leave with? Yeah. So one, I think, um, we have some deferrals. We've had two deferrals of the standard. So, uh, I would say that we just want to be reminded not to kick the can down the road. So the first deferral that we receive, essentially the FASB is giving entities more time because they realize that the big companies, the SEC companies, that they had some difficulties implementing this standard. So I think we need to take that time, take that consideration from the FASB and say, you know, we, we should go ahead and start this process, start gathering our contracts, start reviewing and analyzing and, and really diving into things like some of these practical expedients that we talked about. Uh, it is a significant standard. That's why we, we did receive that deferral. Uh, and ultimately, because it is a significant standard, don't hesitate to seek advice because uh, even internally here at the firm, uh, we run across different scenarios. So overall, uh, lease accounting is changing a good bit. And so how things were in the past or how they are now won't be how they are going forward. And so uh, definitely seek advice, reach out to someone who is an expert, uh, could be someone internally, externally, but um, we got a one-time uh, opportunity to make sure that we implement it right 
And so I think the FASB has given us a couple of years of deferrals to make sure that happens. So let's take advantage of, of the gift that they've given us. Well, Josh, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to, to sit and talk and um, catch up and uh, appreciate all of your uh, advice on the leases. And um, really, really thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Josh. Good to see you. Good seeing you, Kim. And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform. To check out more episodes, subscribe to our podcast series, or make a suggestion for other topics to cover, visit us at warrenaverett.com forward slash the wrap.